Hey, this is Kevin here. Welcome back to our online church podcast here with Thrive Church. Thank you so much for joining us online to listen to our message content today. We hope you enjoy our series that we're digging into called Greater Than the 99. And if you will too, make sure you download our Thrive Church app and also subscribe to our YouTube page at Thrive Church VA. Thrive Church VA. And also follow us on social for all the updates and everything happening at Thrive Church. Now on today's message. Hey, thanks so much for joining us online today for church, man. I am stoked that you would take time to spend time with Thrive Church this morning. I know you, you probably have a very busy day in quarantine, but I'm really glad that you have chosen to worship with us already and now to dig into God's Word. We're kicking off a brand new series today called Greater Than the 99. It's going to extend through Easter. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Luke chapter 15. That is Luke chapter 15. There's an interesting story recently about a farmer who was uh, around other farmers in a very agrarian society, and so he wanted to have a better crop than the other farmers, and so here's what happened. He bought superior seeds, right? That's what he wanted, so he, he planted those seeds, and some of his other neighboring farmer friends said, hey, would you mind sharing some of your spare seeds uh, so we can actually have a good farm as well and a good crop as well? What happened, though, is that farmer decided not to share. Why? Because he wanted his to flourish. He wanted his to do well. And he did not share with the other guys around him. What is interesting is that over the next several years, his crop decreased in its quality. And he was wondering, what's happening? Why is this decreasing during quality? And here's what he found out. The inferior crops around him began to affect his superior crop because he was unwilling to share. He sabotaged the very thing that he wanted to do, and he sabotaged his own you know, means of, of having money and success, which was having a crop. Now, I want today for us to look at how that can affect us as believers, too, and how we can be just like that farmer in our lives. If you have your copy of God's Word in Luke 15, we're going to be digging into the story of the prodigal son. And what we're going to do in this story is we're going to look at each character in this story, and we're going to find out how do we have similarities and differences to each one of these characters. And so in Luke 15, the backdrop of this, if you're not familiar with the kind of the, 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 the history and the context and those things, is number one, Luke, who is a doctor, followed Jesus a little later on in his life. And so he joined Paul in Paul's missionary journeys, and he became a very influential figure in Christianity in the first century. Matter of fact, he was so influential, Luke decided to do research, and he wrote Luke's gospel based on research alone. Then he followed it up with a book called the Book of Acts, which is the first century uh, church, the history of that. But Luke, what is super interesting and what you have to understand is he was a Gentile. He was a non-Jew, and this was super key to Luke's gospel. Because in Luke 15, Jesus is telling his listeners about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. And you've probably heard this before if you've been around Christianity. Even if you've not been a believer, you've heard of the prodigal son or Rembrandt's painting of that. But what is so important to realize here is the message that the whole trilogy of teachings is trying to get across. That when Jesus taught this to the listeners that were around him, he was trying to convey a message to those Jews. When Luke recorded it and wrote it, he was trying to convey a message to Jews and to Gentiles. 
And here is the message. The message was this here. You are valuable to God. He shows this lady who had a hundred coins, right? She loses one coin and sweeps her whole house clean to find the one coin. She left the 99 to find the one. Why? Because the one was valuable. Then you had this shepherd. He has a hundred sheep. One leaves. Instead of saying, oh man, it's just one sheep. I got 99. He leaves the 99 to go after the one which was unheard of because shepherds didn't usually have to do that. But he does that. And then we see the story of the prodigal son, which we're going to look at the next several weeks, of this father and his reaction to a son who had went astray and left. And what Jesus wanted them to know, the Jews to know there that were listening, is that you are valuable to God because they had been taught accidentally and maybe sometimes intentionally that the Jewish religious leaders were more valuable to God than the normal people. That the regular Jews who were sinful and disobedient and they didn't go to the synagogue all the time, they couldn't enter the Holy of Holies, that they were less than. And so God wanted to convey through Jesus' message, you know what? You are valuable to God. And then when Luke wrote this, he wanted the Gentiles to also know because he was a Gentile and he had been rescued by God. He had been saved. He wanted them to know you are valuable to God. So look at Luke chapter 15 with me. We'll start uh, in verse 11. It says, to illustrate the point further. Remember the lost coin, the lost sheep. Now he's illustrating the point further. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate or your inheritance now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now realize what's happening there. This is super, super important because in that day and time, he's saying pretty much to his dad, you're dead to me. I wish that you were dead because I want your money more than I want your love. I want your stuff more than I want you. And his father agreed to do this for him. It says, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. It was like Vegas, baby. What happened in the prodigal son Vegas stays in the prodigal son Vegas. If we don't know a whole lot of the wild living, but we know it was wild. <laughs> About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs began to look good to him. I worked in a hog farm when I was in high school. I grew up in rural North Carolina. And can I tell you something? Never once on my worst day did I ever think or thought that what the pigs were eating was actually something I would want to eat. This boy is desperate, y'all, very desperate. If you don't believe me, go to a hog farm, and then you can resonate with this. But no one gave him anything. And verse 17 is what we'll look at on Easter Sunday. I love this. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. 
So he made this plan. He recited the speech because, remember, not only did he say, Father, you're dead to me, but in that culture, the father would have said, Son, you're dead to me. You might as well be dead. The son was fearful to return home. So it says this. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Then look what happens. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. All the vegetarians said, oh, right? Because they're killing the, the fatted calf. It says, we must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began, right? Isn't this awesome? Well, now the story takes a turn. And this is what I want you to focus on today. Remember I said that each week is a different character. This week is the older brother, which we're going to look at. The next week is the patient father. And then on Easter, it's the prodigal son. Well, look at the reaction of this older brother to his son, I mean, to his brother who had come back, his father's son who had come back, who was lost, who was considered dead, Look at his response in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He asked one of the servants, what is going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. Now, that's important. It's not a fattened calf, the fattened calf. That was a very special calf, and I believe that older brother was waiting for a celebration for him. Maybe it was his 21st birthday. I don't know. Maybe it was his wedding celebration. Maybe it was for, for some other, uh, you know, celebration. But I believe he wanted that fatted calf for himself. And look what happens. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. He was pouting. I know none of you have ever pouted. You don't get your way, right? But that's what he did. He pouted. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, and I love this, when this son of yours comes back, like he didn't say like when my brother came back, you know, like whenever your child or children are acting up, what do you say to your spouse? You would go, take care of your, your son. Go take care of your son. It's not our son anymore. It's not our daughter anymore. You would go, take care, take care of your daughter. Go take care of her. Like, that's what we get into. And that's what he does here. He says, but when this son of yours comes back after squandering all your money on prostitutes, which he doesn't know if it was prostitutes, right? He's making accusations against them. You celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life, and life with us as a family. He was lost, but now he is found. 
in this story here, when you look at the prodigal son and you, you read through this, you do see the, the father and you see the prodigal son, but you often forget the older brother. And, and in that moment, the older brother was upset because his younger brother had preferential treatment. He was so focused on him and what he wasn't getting that he missed the very fact that a brother returned back to him. Like, like, like my son sometimes is so focused on the Lego ship he doesn't have. We say, son, time out. Look at the Lego ships you do have. We get so focused on ourselves and what we're not getting. And that's what the older brother did. And so as we look at this passage, as we look at the elder brother this morning and we journey through this scripture together, here's today's big idea. Here's what I want you to write down in your notes or you can tweet this, you can Snapchat it, you can Instagram it, you can Facebook, whatever you do. And here it is. When we make it about us, it can never be about them. So when we look at this story here and we bring it into our context and we bring it into our situation as followers of Jesus, here's what we got to understand. We can easily become just like that older brother. We can become just like the elder brother in our life. When it comes to living on mission for God, when it comes to the church itself, we can look just like the older brother. And here's what I want you to understand. When we make it all about us, it can never be about them. Who is them? Them are the people who have walked away from their faith. They've given up on God. They've given up on the church. Those who have never surrendered to Jesus. And this morning, church, I want you to understand this, that if we keep making it about us and what we want, we're going to miss the main reason which God redeemed us and the main purpose of God for the earth. And so when you look at that elder brother, I want you to think about, you know, what are some ways that I kind of resemble him? What are some ways uh, with that? Um, As the pastor of this church, you know what I do? I often think, God, how are we resembling an elder brother church? How are we becoming an older brother church? God, how am I becoming an older brother believer? And here are a couple attributes I want you to write down this morning about that older brother. First of all is this. The older brother was more focused on himself rather than the lost son. The older brother was, was focused on what he wasn't getting, what he didn't have. He didn't get the fatted calf. He wasn't focused on the lost son. He was focused on himself. The second attribute of that elder brother is this. He was resentful that he didn't get the attention he used to get. He was resentful that he didn't get the attention he used to get. He was jealous. He was prideful. And he was resentful. In church, I want you to know this, that it's so easy for us to fall into that. Like, if you're a follower of Jesus today... Like, this should be inventory time. This should be self-examination time about what really matters to you. And if you're a pastor watching this today, this should be inventory time on what really matters to you as a church. Because when I take inventory, I'm hard on myself, man. I realize when I take personal inventory of my soul that I'm more concerned about myself than I am people that are far from God. And when I take inventory of our church, can I just be honest? I love our church. I believe our church is amazing. But just like every other church, the older you get, even the more quote-unquote successful you get, if that's even a thing in church, like successful, really, the more you become focused on yourself. See, for us, it can be preferences, what songs they play, the way the church is set up, the stage design. It can be about what you want, not what will reach people far from God. 
And can I be honest with you? I am concerned about reaching the unchurched people. That's what I'm concerned about. I'm not concerned about making Christians happy because that's actually impossible. There was one time Christians were all happy, and it was a miracle, right? It's actually recorded in Scripture. And if you've never paid attention to the greatest miracle of the book of Acts, here's what it is. It says they were all in one accord, and that does not mean a Honda Accord. That means they were all in unity together. So what we do is we put our preferences first. We forget about in the balance is a lost son. And I've been in churches that they're more concerned about the color of carpet than they are people far from God. They don't care if nobody gets saved or water baptized. They don't care if people far from God. Their, their staff meetings are, how do we keep Christians happy? And I, t- I tell you something, that's not my mission as a pastor. I've told you many times before that I am not here to comfort the afflicted. I'm here to afflict the comfortable baby, Right? And so for you, it may be like, well, I don't like the fact that they're doing this. Is it reaching the unchurched? I shared the story last week about the young man who had given his life to Christ. Remember, the student in student ministry was leading worship and preaching the gospel. Kids were getting saved. And all the deacons were concerned about was this. I don't like all these goth kids coming in. These other kids, they're going to ruin. They're going to ruin our church. Like They're going to make our carpet dirty. They didn't care. Like some of us are arguing about lights. And it's like, really? Is it reaching people far from God? And that should be our heart. If we don't get a solo on stage, we quit the worship team. Well, great. Way to sabotage God's plan, right? If we don't get what we want, we take our toys and go home. Not concerned about the people who are hanging in the balance. And that's why God called me to the church ministry. I believe everything's ministry, but to the church ministry, I believe, is because my heart is to continue to help unchurched people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And if you follow Jesus and you come to this church and you are already a church person, you are welcome. But let me tell you this, we're going to empower you, baby. We're going to help you reach your neighbors and your friends and the community around you. Because the goal is, is that we cannot keep making it about us. It's got to be about them. Every time we leave the building, every time we gather together. And so many times, can I tell you what happens? We keep making it about us. Well, I don't like what's happening. No, you, it's not that you don't like what's happening. You don't care about unchurched people. But can I just be honest? Can we, be, can we just be truthful here on Sunday morning in our online church? Kevin, you would say that. All these people are watching online. I'm going to be honest with you. Maybe we just don't care about unchurched people. Maybe what we do is we care about what we want, and we will sacrifice a lost son because we want the fattened calf. That's what happens. And here's why this is so important today. Here's why this is important not only to me, but to the heart of God. And, and this is why this is critical. Write this down in your notes. If you have your notes handy, I want you to, to write this, this next point down. It's this here. Elder brother churches and believers ultimately sabotage God's plan A for the world. Yeah. Elder brother churches and believers ultimately sabotage God's plan A for the world. Because they're so focused on themselves, they sabotage God's plan for the world. What's God's plan for the world, Kevin? And here it is. It's in John 3, 16 and John 3, 17. And, and I'm going to read this from the message version. 
Because so many of you, if you've been churched, if, if you're not church and you're new to this thing, this is great because this is all new to you. But if you've been in church for a while, here's what happens. You just kind of skate over scriptures because you've even got them memorized. And here's in John 3, 16 to 17, Jesus is explaining to a Jewish, uh, you know, very devout Jewish religious leader uh, named Nicodemus. And, and he's explaining to him about like God's plan for salvation and what that even means. He's trying to open his eyes up. They meet at night and they're talking about this thing. And here is what Jesus says. He says, this is how much God loved the world. How much did he love the world? That he gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why. Why did God send Jesus? So we can just huddle up together and sing Kumbaya until we die? So we can sing our favorite songs in church and be happy? So we can be comfortable and convenient? This is why. And watch this. So that no one needs to be destroyed. No one needs to ever taste hell. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. And I love this next part here. God didn't go to all the trouble. I love that. Like, it really was an inconvenience for God to do this. You know this, right? Of sending his son merely to point out an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. That's what the church usually does. We're just kind of sitting in our pew saying, y'all are so bad. Oh, you're all going to hell. Change your lives. But watch this. Here is why God sent his son. Here's why he went to the trouble of it. He came to help, he came to, help to put the world right again. Isn't that beautiful? That's God's plan A for the world. Like, like God's plan A is so that people would experience life in Christ. And if you give your life to Jesus, he immediately enlists you in his army. You immediately become part of the family. You immediately become the older brother. And now the focus, the moment you get saved, is on those that are far from God on those that, that need to experience life in Christ. But here's what older brothers and, 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 and older brother churches and believers do. We keep it focused on us. And when we do that, we forget about the mission of God for the world. That's one thing I want to teach them about a Thrive Church. We are a multi, multi-generational church. We're not just a, you know, a bunch of young hipsters. I'm not even a young hipster, right? With all the same haircuts and clothes styles. Not that nothing, anything's wrong with that. We're a very diverse church with race and culture. But what I love about this church is this here. We're multi-generational. And we have people who are what I call the gray-haired saints, right? They're, they're, they're not old. They're senior citizens, but they're, 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 they're the mature saints of the world. Many of those have joined this, this movement that we call Thrive Church after we got started. Most of the ones who started this church were gray-haired saints, and what they wanted was God's plan A for the world. Thrive exists today because people who had got older in their faith and had seen it all, and had done church over and over again, wanted to see the mission of God lived through Thrive Church. And I'm so excited about that. Listen, as you become older in your faith, as you grow in your faith, you don't have to sabotage God's plan A. You can actually be reinvigorated in your faith by seeing people come to faith in Christ. And so I want to show you this quickly this morning. The elder brother believers in churches, there's three things that they do. And so you're going to find yourself in the story somehow. You're going to see yourself as an, as an elder brother. I know I do. 
And so for me, what happens is, is I become the elder brother because I'm just the one that's focused on just the church metrics, just our numbers and our, our offerings and just how we look to the world, but I'm not concerned. So when I find myself sliding into that, I bring myself to center. And so hopefully these attributes will help you this morning. So you can write these down. The first one is this, elder brother believers in churches are scared that the unchurched will hurt them. Like, you got so many believers, they're like, mm, yeah, I don't want to be around those people because, like, um, you know, they curse a lot. And they don't, oh, man, oh, God, their politics, oh, no, they don't, they don't vote like me. And, oh, gosh. They and, and what happens is you're scared they're going to hurt you. Well, if I get around them, they may change me. Like, like, for me, when I gave my life to Christ, can I tell you something? I went out. And I went into the darkest places in the punk rock world, baby, like the darkest scenes. People hated Jesus, and I hung out with them, and I became their friends. And can I tell you, they didn't change me. When the gospel transforms you, you might go back into the world. Can I tell you, when you're transformed by the gospel, there is nothing in the world that can change you. There's nothing that can make you go back to your old life when you've been met with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've just been churched your whole life and you've had behavior modification, you can easily slide back into that because you're just doing behavior. My life was changed. Some of you need to realize you were saved to be salt and light. Now, I know the church has played into this. When I first gave my life to Christ, though, I was taught this. Two times a year, you know, you're taught to bring all your unchurched friends to church. You're in the spring and fall revival, right? Bring all the people you don't, they don't come to church to church. But here's the problem. We were taught the rest of the year to get away from unchurched people, to, to get rid of all your friends who don't know the gospel. And we've become isolated and insulated instead of being those who perpetuate with the gospel. See, realize this, that there, there were two people um, in the beginning of the gospels. There was John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist was separated and people came to him to hear the message of repentance. But, but John's message was this, there's one greater than me that's coming. Like, that's the Messiah you're going to follow. That's the example you're going to follow. And so Jesus was the exact opposite from John the Baptist. John the Baptist was an isolationist from the world. He was kind of weird. Like, he dressed differently and, you know, had the old dreadlock thing going on and ate bugs. He was weird, right? People didn't stay and hang out with John. Jesus went into the world. He ate and he hung out and became friends with sinners. Some of you are okay feeding a hot dog to an unchurched person in a park, but you would never become a best friend with them. You would never do life with them. And that's where you're missing the God. You're scared that the unchurched are going to hurt you, that they're going to change you. Well, let me say this. If you're scared of that, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? That's the fact I must that all the time. Like seriously, you need to check yourself because maybe the gospel has not transformed you. Because when you're, watch this, when you're transformed by the gospel, you look more like Jesus than John the Baptist. John isolated. Jesus was insulated by the power of the gospel, the power of the Father. Some churches are scared. Well, what if we let an unchurched person come in? I mean, I'm, are you going to let them play on the worship team? Sure. Well, you know, what if they get their unsanctified life just might destroy your church your brother? You got to watch out for that stuff. Friends, they need a place to belong before they ever believe. They need to find community and, and listen, as I've shared my story over and over, and you'll hear this next week, as, as I share about the patient father, there were people who embraced me before I ever believed. 
And we have to do that. Here's the second attribute. Elder brother believers in churches forget that they are a battleship instead of, the, of a cruise ship. Elder brother believers in churches forget that they are a battleship instead of a cruise ship. Can I just say this quickly? Like, your church is not a cruise ship. It's not a place to be comfortable and keep the carpet clean, no stains on the carpet, or the chairs. Well, don't mess those chairs up. You're, let's make sure we don't get, you know, don't get any kids in here going to tear the church up, right? Don't let them tear that church up. Man, we're a battleship. There are lives hanging in the balance. We're not playing a game, y'all. Do you understand that the local church is a battleship and we are rescuing people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that should always be the thing that we keep at the forefront of what we do. I've had people tell me, I'm going to find another church pastor. I'm like, that's cool. Because I don't lose. If a Christian goes to another church to get entertained, I don't lose. The kingdom doesn't lose. But here's what we do lose. We lose when somebody chooses to not follow Jesus. That's when we lose. We lose when the unchurched do not choose to follow Jesus, right? Now, I've had people tell me before, Pastor, I'm going to choose this other church because they, they, they worship longer and they're deeper. You're going to find a lot of other pastors deeper than me. You'll find a lot, lot more worship teams that will... They will sing until you can't stand anymore, right? Go. But you better, I, I, said, I said this to many, I'll say this to you watching online today. You go, but you better make sure that church is on mission, reaching people far from God, because it can easily become a cruise ship instead of a battleship. And I'm here to make sure Thrive Church never becomes a cruise ship, but we're always a battleship. We're always pushing. And finally, this morning, here's what elder brother believers in churches do. They put the gospel on the back burner. They put the gospel on the back burner. The message of Jesus is not preached. Oh, yeah, they do a little salvation call at the end. But we're more concerned about being psychologists from the pulpit instead of teaching people the power of the finished work of the gospel. We, have, we, we are pop psychologists teaching about fear and anxiety and all these things. And what we need in our souls is to understand what happened with the finished work of the gospel. And elder, believer, elder brother believers in churches forget the gospel. They don't preach the gospel. They don't tell people you can be made right with God by the finished work of Jesus. They don't tell people that your works mean nothing to God. It cannot save you, only the, the finished work of Jesus. And they forget that. And so at Thrive Church, can I tell you, if you're stalking us online today, I'm going to preach the gospel every chance I get. I'm going to continually drive you by the cross every chance I get. Why? Because not only do those far from God need to hear the message that God loved them so much that he sent his only son, not only do those far from God and those that are unchurched even watching today need to hear the message of a loving God who sent his son, but friends, you as a believer need to always remind yourself that you are right with God right now, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ did for you. You'll never be any more right with God than you are today. There are not junior varsity Christians and varsity Christians. There are only believers who have been redeemed and justified by the finished work of the gospel. Listen, here's what we have to do, guys. We have to fight the urge to be an elder brother believer. See, I know what all of your favorite radio stations are. The Lord just told me, like right now, it, it, God downloaded that in my spirit. Can you believe that? Your favorite radio station, even mine, is this. It's WIIFM. What's in it for me? 
we have to get off that dial if we're going to be believers in churches that live on mission because that dial is all about the older brothers. It's all about what's in it for me. It's all about what, what I want. And we forget about the lost son. We forget about those that are far from God. And over the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the different characters in this story and see how we resemble that. But I know this. We've got to fight that urge to be an elder brother. This week is what you need to do. You need to take an inventory. You need to see what really matters to you when it comes to your life and to your church and to living on mission. And you need to ask God to help you. Thank you so much for listening.